Hi, welcome to The School Run. I'm Jane. And I'm Liv. And we are going to share with you the best conversations we have on our school run. We will invite guests and debate topics that affect and resonate with every generation. We all remember our own school run. So maybe have a think about yours. What do you remember? everyone and welcome to another episode of the School Run podcast. Olivia, we're doing lots of interviews and we're so in such a privileged position on the School Run podcast to have amazing guests sharing their stories, their wisdom, their experience, their School Run memories with us. Um, Today we are joined, my 15-year-old daughter Liv and I, by a lady called Karen. I'm going to let her describe or pronounce her surname because I have tried to practice and I can't do it. Um, So I'm going to introduce this lady as Karen. She in her life so far has been a lawyer, project manager, client success manager, but is now a fertility and pregnancy and postnatal certified coach. I'm sure that we're going to have a really interesting conversation with Karen today because when we talked before the podcast episode, we found that we'd gone through some very similar life experiences. So we're really privileged to welcome Karen onto the onto the school run. And Karen, please describe and explain or pronounce your surname for us. <laughs> So thank you so much for having me on. First of all, it's so nice to meet you both and and be here. So yes, my name is Karen Delafeo. It's a Catalan surname. So yeah, a little bit interesting. It's from my ex. It's very interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. And um, I, I I tried when you told me how to pronounce it, and I just couldn't. So I didn't want to take the risk. Oh, you did very well. You did very well. <laughs> Thank you so much. So I did a little intro about Karen there. Where where would you like to start, Liv? What would you like to talk to her about first? I think the first thing is, as we were just talking before we pressed record, uh, Karen said she stopped, her first job was baking cakes. And obviously, I think people knowing if they've listened to the first episode, if not, go and listen to it now. Um, but um, I bake cakes as well, and I love baking cakes too. Amazing, amazing. So yeah, that was my first job. I used to live in Cornwall. Um, and back when I was, gosh, must have been around 13, I wanted a bit of pocket money, as you do, and people were, back then, people did the, like, the newspaper runs and that kind of thing. Um, but as you probably know about Cornwall, there's loads of cafes that do homemade cakes. So um, I started making cakes and selling them to local cafes. Wow. <laughs> so if you have a homemade cake in Cornwall, it may have been made by a 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was great. Loads of the local cafes brought these cakes. Um, it was amazing, yeah. My poor mum had a very messy kitchen every Saturday. <laughs> I think my mum definitely knows what that's like. <laughs> yeah, the, the washing up leaves, leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, cake making, um, obviously Olivia absolutely adored it and it got her through um, quite a tough time in Liv's life in terms of baking, but you, you baked cakes for all sorts of people, didn't you? Birthday cakes, yeah. christening cakes, all sorts of things. And it was really hard to price. People would ask to pay her. And um, ultimately, I found that really, really difficult because, you know, going out to get the ingredients, buying the ingredients, then like you say, the washing up, the electricity, the gas, all of that. It's you can't make money out of making cakes. Am I wrong? (laughs) 
I probably not. Again, my poor mum. I I think she probably futtered the bill for most of that. <laughs> I got the profits. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. So sorry, Jane. I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> probably a big part of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And you love the creative side, didn't you? And the planning and the drawing and the research in the ingredients. Yeah, I did. And also, it really definitely brought out the perfectionist in me, like the the piping and everything. I always had to make sure. I think usually I'd scrape a cake down about ten times because. I just I just wanted it to be like super perfect especially if it was like for someone outside of my family but yeah it was really hard actually but then once you once you have the cake at the end and you've created something it's kind of amazing right that you can make something out of different ingredients and create something like that so keep going and and they're delicious yeah (laughs) (laughs) and you made all sorts of ones people who had dairy-free allergies and vegan and we've got so many honestly Karen our cupboards in the kitchen are full of you know intricate baking instruments I mean she literally had everything that she could (sighs) every day amazon was arriving with another package (laughs) there was definitely no profit in cake making however she absolutely loved it well doing something that you love and that's a bit creative it's a great outlet right absolutely it was good for you wasn't Mm -hmm. it and it got a lot of people through lockdown didn't it did you did you revert to cake making during the pandemic um a little bit um my stomach would say probably quite not (laughs) (laughs) on my waistband should I say (laughs) but yeah for sure and like for my little boy for his birthday I like to make his birthday cake and yeah last year he wanted a dinosaur cake and I created this dinosaur thing and actually somebody it was so funny one of his little friends mums asked me for the number of the person that had made the cake so that was quite a nice compliment wow that's fantastic and and you know that's that's such a skill to be able to have I was always really nervous with Liv's birthday cakes for the last couple of years because I've had to pay someone to do a cake for her and whether it would meet her high standards of what it looked like (laughs) but we'll see so so you started off cake making um and obviously quite entrepreneurial at a very young age what what happened happened next what led to law what was school like for you Karen and, and why did you choose law oh right gosh good question I didn't actually choose it which I I don't know many lawyers that maybe go into it like this but I kind of fell into it because so obviously being in Cornwall <clears throat> lots of holiday makers lots of people from different countries and my mum bless her I think she kind of instilled in me that love of traveling although we didn't actually travel she was always super interested in like different cultures and we'd see the badge the sticker on the cars and she'd be like oh they're from Germany or whatever and hearing a lot of people speak the different languages um I was always interested in languages So when I went to college, I studied languages and business studies, came out of college, wasn't sure what to do, decided, did a gap year. Everybody with me was at university when I was doing the gap year, but university wasn't a thing in my family. Nobody else had been. It just wasn't part of the plan. Um, But I got interested in it and maybe thought, you know, it could be a good thing to do. So I managed to find 
that it was actually the only course in the country. I wanted to do languages and something, something that would kind of make me a bit different than other people. I was always a bit of a rebel at heart, I think. So I wanted something that was just a bit different. Um, and I managed to find the, I think it was the only university in the country at the time where you could do two languages and a qualifying law degree. So I did that in Bristol. Sorry, this is a very long answer to how should I get into law? <laughs> no, it's great. It's great for young people to hear what your your choices were. Yeah, so two languages and law at Bristol is, is yeah, great. Yeah, um, super interesting. And then when I came out, my boyfriend at the time was working for a law firm um, and I didn't know what to do for work. I had no idea at all. But for his firm, they were looking for a paralegal, so like a junior, junior, junior lawyer who spoke different languages. Um, still at this time, had no intention of being a lawyer at all, but managed to get this job because I spoke different languages. And my main work was uh, across Europe, helping one client across Europe. The partner, like the manager of the team at the time, really, he wanted to put me forward to be a solicitor. Um, again, still wasn't really on my radar, um, but I applied and ended up getting the um, getting the position, which to be a lawyer, you have to then do two years, a training contract, like on the job training and a postgraduate course. So I did that through the firm, basically. So it was really him that put me forward for it. And in fact, he put me forward for it. I didn't get the job. Um, and they came back with, I need to be more assertive. I'm not confident enough. Something that's stuck with me all my life. Um, and he put me on an assertiveness course. And then I reapplied and got a position. So it was 100% him that nudged me towards being a lawyer. That was, that's amazing, isn't it? And what I, what I pick out from that is actually lawyers, once you've done a law degree, it's very, very, very difficult, I hear, to get a training contract and to be embraced by an organisation. But you almost, that just sort of happened for you as a, yeah, as a natural progression. Really and someone obviously saw something in you and saw a skill set and really supported you to 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 get that that training contract and, and, and achieve that status. And it actually wasn't what you were focused on and what you actually wanted to do. No, not at all. For me, it was always languages. Being in Cornwall, I'd always worked with people in like receptionists, that kind of thing, the typical kind of holiday work. Um, and I just wanted to work with people and languages and yeah, all of that. So d being a lawyer wasn't, <laughs> wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> And, and what sort of, I, I know there's so many different areas of law and you mentioned that obviously your languages were, were part of helping a client across Europe. What sort of what sort of law were you doing? Was it contracts? Was it business? Was it what what did that involve? So it was commercial and commercial litigation. So I did the training contract. I qualified, but I came out of law quite quickly, to be honest. I quickly realised it wasn't for me. Um, I, I always reflect. There were two times that really stand out as making me realise it wasn't for me. Once was... Um, I was in the in the office, you know, you have to be kind of suited and booted. I had a really serious work clothes on, but I had silver um, stiletto heels on. And you could just see like this the tiny amount, five centimetres in front of my big trousers. And one of the managers came past and just looked at my shoes and went, interesting shoes, Karen. <laughs> this isn't the place for me. <laughs> 
And then another time I went on, I was on holiday, came back, as you do, bring sweets and chocolates. For me, it was quite silly little things, which is my personality. And people just didn't really mention it. Everyone was like scurrying away and there was no chatter. And I'm not dissing other law firms or like the people were lovely, but it just... I, you can tell I'm too talkative for that kind of environment. Yeah, the environment didn't suit that. Really I was like the naughty school, the naughty school child who just wanted to have a chat. <laughs> you didn't want to conform into what was into what was <laughs> what was typical. So I wanted my crazy shoes and. <laughs> Yeah, silliness. <laughs> oh, so what? So you decided that quite quickly that you know, having qualified as a lawyer um, and your languages, that it wasn't the place for you. What happened next? What 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 decision did you make? So then, again, through contacts, really, I heard about another. I was in Manchester at the time and heard about a job in London um, that was it was a project management job. So they wanted somebody who. Um, it, it was kind of legal tech. So they wanted somebody that understood the law because they were the clients, but somebody that could interpret technical legal, um, sorry, technical jargon to lawyers that just didn't understand tech. And I guess my background with speaking to people all the time, with the receptionist jobs and the languages, that was, you know, was what I got used, what I'd been used to, although it was a different topic. That was basically what my work to date had been. So I got that, job and in fact they I was kind of between places they interviewed me on the Wednesday they asked when I could start and I moved down to London two days later and started on the Monday in fact a friend from London came to Manchester to to collect me he's like right come on we're going back to London I'm taking you back to London we're starting this new job (laughs) yeah moved two days later wow. and started the job on the Monday. And you and it sounds like it was all just part of the part of your journey, but you know, let's not underestimate this. Moving to London, the capital city in the UK, and it's a big place and you've yeah. come from Cornwall, you'd been in Manchester then. That was a <laughs> massive change, right? Yeah, it was a huge change, but I had moved around quite a lot. I'd lived abroad a little bit. I guess I'd always I had itchy feet to move around. I, I had been in London before, but albeit for short spaces of time. And it just, by that point, I'd, I had moved around quite a lot and it just felt quite natural to move somewhere else. And I guess when you go to university, you know, you're in the same city, but you tend to move house every year. So, yes, it's a big thing, but it kind of was, it was, a, it was an adventure, to be honest, I guess. And I still had that kind of, yeah. We'll see what happens, kind of frame of mind, I suppose. Absolutely. So how were, how old were you at this point? What what sort of age are we talking about? Um, I would have been around 26, maybe, mid-20s, 26. Yeah, and was, was home still Cornwall? Was that where mum was and, and your family home? Yeah, so, yes, my mum was down there. In fact, I, it was all this happened a little bit later because actually my mum my, my was poorly while I was, she had cancer while I was in university. So it ended up meaning that university was pushed back. I took my final year over two years, so everything got put, and I took a gap year. So actually everything got pushed back. Not pushed back, but was, I was actually being a bit older. Yeah. <laughs> hence me being like 26 yeah absolutely and I just wondered if we just go back I mean gap years what do you Olivia understand as 
a gap year and what you would do in a gap year. Do you have any idea? No, but I think if I took a gap year, I would probably want to travel the world. I mean, I've said this in another podcast, but if I was to take a gap year, then I would definitely travel the world. What did you do in yours, Karen, in your gap year? You know, the more we're talking like this, the more I'm reflecting on how haphazard things have been and I've done quite random things. So my gap year was between, um, I I took a few to be fair, but the first one was between A-levels and university. Um, When I, so for my A-levels, I studied three languages and I wanted to go abroad and learn the languages in the country. Um, I hadn't come from money. My parents didn't have much money at all um but I had another contact randomly in Tenerife I'd never been abroad I think I'd been abroad once before before that time um but you know I I was gonna say like lots of young people but maybe not maybe I was a little bit (laughs) slightly different but I went to Tenerife with 50 pounds in my pocket I had no job with a single ticket I did have somewhere to stay that was a connection but I didn't know them personally and went to Tenerife and literally knocked on doors along the strip for a job wow um and asked in every restaurant cafe whatever hi I'm here can I work for you finally found somewhere and it was really hard going my Spanish wasn't very good at that time um the manager was pretty hardcore and it was yeah um it was interesting it was interesting but whilst there I um applied for another job um that was also overseas at the time just because I wanted to have interview practice um because I hadn't really had many interviews so I applied for this other job that was overseas that was in Austria during a ski season um did the interview and got the job so then went from Tenerife I'd only been in Tenerife probably a couple of months and literally came back to the UK to pack my, to swap my winter clothes for my summer clothes and then went out to Austria and then was in Austria for six months. And a ski season is meant to be, a a ski season is amazing. I mean, I I know friends that did it after university and that, you know, I went out to visit them and it was just an incredible experience doing a ski season. It's super fun, yeah. So then I did that and then I came back and I went to Italy as an au pair for three months after Austria. So, yeah. You really, was, put, uh, you really put your languages to the test, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Comes back to the, I always joke with people that I'm not, it's not that I'm really good at languages, it's that I'm really nosy and want to talk to everybody and want to know what everyone's talking about. So that was definitely my, like, in Cornwall, I was like, I want to know what you're talking about. I need to speak your language. Hi everyone, we hope you're enjoying this episode so far. We're just cutting in to say, if you're enjoying our podcast, please click the follow button on whichever platform you're listening on. And please leave us a review. We'd be so grateful for your support and feedback. Podcasts are free to listen to, but if you are loving our school run chats and debates, please consider buying us a virtual coffee. The link will be in the description of every podcast episode and it will also be in the bio of our Instagram, which is at the school run underscore official and why not give it a follow while you're there so you can see all the updates and get sneak peeks at upcoming episodes thank you so much and happy listening 
just because I know a lot of our listeners are young people or parents with youngsters and, you know, describing what to do with a gap year. Um, so we obviously spoke about this one between your A-levels and uni. W- when you were on the ski season, what did you actually do? What, you know, you obviously went out there on a contract for a period of time. Were you working in a chalet and looking after people and serving them food and cleaning and all of that? What was your role on a ski season? It was actually really lucky. I seem to have landed quite a few almost managerial type roles throughout my career, I guess. And this was actually in the office. It was a it was a UK company, a UK ski company that had an office out in Austria. And I was based in the office and managed, I was like the liaison between the UK and the Austrian operation. So I kind of headed it all up from that place and when there was handover I would go to the airport it was super exciting I had the pass to get all around the airport so I could go in through the way through security whatever way you're not normally allowed to go so I had that I wish my pass and get through so it was it was amazing experience to have that sort of office experience at such a young age that was for a short period so yeah very yeah. interesting and then using really languages and, and getting to know people like it was a really people from yeah. um, position I guess yeah um and then was there for another sure. gap year then after after university so as part of my university course I was in Spain for a year um and that was I was in Seville for six months um I was in Seville for six months work in the university. Um, really funny story about that because it, I would I was in a I would go to law lectures because it was a law degree and that was part of what the gap year was. So I would go to law lectures. Everybody would be writing their notes like they do in university. I couldn't understand a word, right? Really, really couldn't understand a word. So I'd write letters to my mum. And my mum to this day will say the only letters she's ever received from me is when I was in a Spanish university because I didn't want to be sat there not doing anything. So I had to pretend I was writing. So I just write my mum letters. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, so, yes, I was there for six months, then came home. That's when I had to have quite a big surgery. So couldn't go back for three months. Um, and then when I went back, I had a placement in a law firm in Barcelona. So I had three months working in the law firm as part of my university degree. Wow. What, yeah. what are you thinking, Liv? It's crazy. I'm, I mean, I think people are wondering why I'm not talking. I'm too busy listening. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to everything that's happened and you've done so much stuff at like already at such a young age. Like It sounds like you did like so much and gained so much like experience of traveling the different countries and doing a law degree in Spain. And it's crazy. <laughs> It was super exciting. But the thing I would say is, like, you've heard everything just happened. Like, none of it was planned. I remember when I was at school doing, like, careers advice things. We had a person that would come in and there was, I don't know if they still have it, but there was this, there was this computer program where you would put in your um, likes and dislikes and it would throw out what your career, ideal career would be. And I did it a few times. It kept coming out as an audio typist. I mean, there's nothing less that I would be good at than you can tell sat with headphones on and just typing away and so everything I've done has just it's just flowed I've just been open to opportunities met people and just spoke to people and things have just happened and I've always been really surprised at how often 
if you're just quite bold and talk to people, how often you do get a yes? I mean, one time, crazy, another crazy story, sorry. I was in Luxembourg studying business studies at the time and we'd done a lot about the EU and all that kind of stuff. I went into the one of the huge EU establishments there and just walked in and said, hi, I'd like to do some work experience. Would you take me? And they said, yes. The, the person I spoke to spoke to somebody else and they were like, yeah, drop us a letter and we'll have you. So just putting yourself out there is the biggest thing that I've learned, I think, just talking to people, being open. Being curious. And, yeah. you know, being curious. and Being curious. Asking questions, because all of these things that you've described have been, like you say, through a relationship that you've built or, you know, you've been in the right place at the right time and built those relationships and communicated well. And the opportunity has been there for you to say yes to. Completely. And nothing lasts forever. And I think that applies to what my career definitely has shown it, that you don't have to feel like you, you need to make a decision and then stick with it for the rest of your life or even for an extended period. You know, you can, you can be open, you can give something a try and really properly give it a try. But then if it's not the right thing for you, there's other things out there. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we're in London, where we got to around age 26. You're in London, project managing. Then on to client success manager. What even is that? So I actually did insurance for a little bit before that. It's <laughs> part of the story. So when I was in... Um, as a, when I was in a project manager, as a project manager, um, again, somebody found out I got headhunted by somebody who was looking for somebody who spoke different languages. And I went into insurance as a loss adjuster. That's kind of like a solicitor for insurance and headed up there. It was a very small, was a very small company and headed up their Spanish. Oh, sorry, I didn't head it up, but I was involved in their Spanish operation and traveled to Latin America, Lowe's and Spain for work, which was amazing. Um, but then from then I went into project management again, similar to the previous role, and then into client success, which client success is, um, it was another legal tech firm. They had their own software and it was around um, getting people onboarded, getting people comfortable with the software, both internally and externally. And I headed up the European side of client success for this company um so it was a lot of talking to the big wigs talking to the directors who were anti and anti this software and trying to get them on board you know mentally emotionally with the software um and also training and helping clients out and it it almost came back to that almost kind of where I started a little bit with that sort of you know the interpretation helping people understand things that are different to them things that are new to them and help them understand it in a way that works for them and benefits them amazing and the software itself I mean maybe too deep a question but what what was the piece of software what was what was the technology um so it was lawyers were the clients um and it was to help it was around document review it was to help um primarily litigation lawyers when you have reams and reams and reams of paper documents to review um emails all that kind of thing it was it would all go into the system and it would help them to review it really quickly 
basically. It's a very super high level. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it, yeah. Liv? And then we and then we come to what you're doing now, which is how our worlds collided on social media um, as a fertility, pregnancy and postnatal certified coach. So um, that's very different to being a lawyer speaking lots of languages. I appreciate it's all about people um, and helping people, but what, how have you ended up here and, and why? Um, so it was around my journey to be a mother was really what influenced it. I had a really, really long journey and I didn't really get the support that I needed along the way at different routes for different reasons. Um, I, the support just wasn't available or at least I didn't find it. So, um, after my little boy was about one, um, I started to be interested in helping other people really with their journey. So that's very high level how I got into it. And I started the training as a coach and then I added on hypnosis, um, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming and emotional freedom technique, EFT tapping. Um, So now with clients, I help them using all of those different techniques on their journey. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And I know (laughs) when we got talking initially, we'd had a shared experience in a similar operation that we'd had. Obviously, mine ended very differently to yours. Um, But we, we talked quite a bit about, you know, it's not just the physical that you're going through in terms of Uh, trying to become pregnant or having a baby or whatever but it's the mental side as well and you were really passionate about that can you are you happy to talk about that in a little bit more detail yeah of course of course so when I was 25 part of this whole crazy period that I was talking about um I had to have an ovary removed I had it was when I was in Spain that I had a massive cyst huge cyst they the GP was adamant I was pregnant six months pregnant there was absolutely no way I was pregnant um anyway it turned out to be a ovarian cyst and they took out my ovary and a bit of the other the other one too um and from that time I mean my mum has always said that I lost my spark from then it was like a light bulb just switched off I had a huge scar from my belly button down And it was the fashion at the time to wear the little short tops and the hipster jeans. And I had this giant red scar that was there. So it really, really affected me how it looked physically, but also what that meant. It wasn't so much because I had a scar on my tummy. It was like the scar meant that I was broken, that there was something wrong inside. Um, And that bit really, really affected me. I became almost almost obsessed with when would I be when would I need to have children when could I guarantee that I could have children because when they took out the ovary they they actually didn't know what they were going to find when they did the surgery and they said to me that they might have to take everything out and I refused I said to them no you if if I'm not going to be don't take away my chance of having children basically leave everything and if that means I'm not here anymore then that's the path um and yeah, it, then I became almost obsessed with when I would be able to have children. And I say that I kind of almost had a bit of a delayed rebellion then. I found boys in a different way and just lived life. Like it, there was almost two parts to me. There was one part of me that was desperate to settle down and desperate to have a family, but I wasn't in that place. I wasn't in that kind of relationship. 
so there was another part of me that was just like, whatever, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to have a good time and I'm going to, you know, have fun. Um, and it affected, I just felt like my femininity had been affected. And again, there was two sides of me because I, I am a feminine girl. I like, you know, flowery stuff and that kind of thing. But there was a part of me that just felt like, who am I? What am I? I'm half of a woman. Am I going to be able to have children? The thought of not being able to have children, I just quite honestly didn't want to be here anymore, if that was the case. And yeah, really, really struggled with that. And on the outside, I mean, for a start, nobody would have believed it from the outside because I was social and that kind of thing. But then the people that did know it would always put a cover over it and be like but it's fine you have plenty of time there's always IVF there's always but that just didn't help at all and I got into more and more and more a darker place through that period even before I was trying to conceive and it was like the seed had already been sown and then just grew and grew and grew over that period yeah it's it's an incredible story isn't it Liv yeah it is is she sat here just listening and not not really yeah. she's sort of absorbing everything normally <laughs> olivia's got an opinion or asked more questions um it was interesting when we first spoke karen because i'd had exactly the same surgery three years ago where they took in an emergency situation half of 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 my women's anatomy and, and that you know what happened from there on in was just catastrophically awful in terms of infection and a huge mental and physical breakdown and and when you go back to the root of it you know I think it because it was sprung on me and taken away and it was it was a horrible time wasn't it Liv yeah it was Sorry, I'm just listening. I'm finding it really interesting. What's going through your mind? What's going through your mind? What are you thinking? It's like a big story. I feel like I'm being told a story and I'm just listening to a story. (laughs) Bless you. Um, But I think maybe there'll be a book one day. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, And sort of the, like you say, you know, life was going on on the outside and you're sort of continuing, but the 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 impact of trauma over many years or the you know it, it compounds oh, doesn't it it just compounds massively yeah hugely and people don't understand it because they always see the solution I think we're we're almost conditioned now to give a solution think of the good things think of the positive and we're not given that space to actually accept what we feel sometimes and, you know, allow ourselves to get over the trauma because it is a trauma. It doesn't have to be, you know, really awful, awful things that cause trauma to us. These things are traumatic as well. Absolutely. So so what do, what, how did you, you've obviously set up in business and you're now helping women from a very, a place deep within your heart because of an experience that you've gone through. What kind of women do you work with? Who and how do you help? And what does a certified coach do? So I'm, I think I'm quite unusual because I span the whole breadth. People tend to either do fertility or pregnancy or new mums. But for me, it was really important that I span the whole journey because the whole journey is affected. For me, the whole journey was affected by that seed that was planted when I was 25. So 
you know, for a long time, I thought I, it would be difficult for me to have children. And then I was told I would have IVF. And that I was devastated when they said, yeah, you're going to be fast tracked for IVF. I should have been super excited. But actually, for me, it felt so final and it felt so scientific and it felt awful. It was just awful. And even that nobody understood. I mean, my husband, I completely broke down. My husband at the time was like, what's wrong with you? It's, this is our chance. This is amazing. Um, at that, around that time, I lost the tube on the other side as well. So it was definitely always going to have to be IVF from then on. And there just wasn't that support around what it meant to go through IVF, not only the medication and the side effects of the medication, but what does it mean emotionally for somebody? And then I was so fortunate to get pregnant and it was a textbook perfect pregnancy, but still this journey had affected me and I felt like I was living scan to scan and didn't believe that I would be able to bring him home. I mean, we brought all his stuff and I kept the receipts just in case he wouldn't come home, which sounds neurotic, but that's that's how I felt. As it was, it was a traumatic birth and we both nearly didn't come home, but that was okay. It was fine. We worked it out. And then after birth, like a lot of people now, we just, we don't have family close by. The friends that lived close were new parents too from the antenatal groups so we just didn't have that physical support around us that was really difficult and we we needed more than counseling we needed like practical what can we do how can we manage all of this stuff um our marriage broke down when Harvey my little boy was 18 months old and I think that was connected to this whole piece of not having the right support so seeing all that journey is what made me really want to come into supporting others emotionally on their journey. And it's not about, you know, so many people say when you're struggling to conceive, oh, just relax, go on a date night, have a good night and it'll be fine. Don't think about it. It just happens. But it that just really, really, really doesn't help. And what I experienced through my whole, I mean, it was like 15 years in total through that whole period was that I lost myself. I lost my identity. I lost who I was. I lost my faith in the future. I didn't trust people. I didn't trust myself. I didn't believe in my body anymore. And so for me, it's, if I'd have had somebody then to help me rebuild that trust in myself and in my body and in the future and to dare to dream but not in a fake positive way, just to have that belief in things, good things can happen, it would have just shifted so much for me. And that's what I'm doing. I'm helping other people with. It's helping them emotionally to come out of that really dark place, but also to teach them tools and techniques and strategies that they can use themselves to get out of that dark place because there's always going to be hurdles, right? Whatever happens to us in life, there's always going to be really bad times that bring us down. And we need, I think we spoke before, I feel so strongly that there's this big thing now about being aware of your mental health and putting your hand up when you feel rubbish and when things aren't going well. But there's not much out there about what to do with it. And I feel, you can tell I get really passionate about this. <laughs> for me it's like the real missing link that we all need to know what to do with yeah, it we're, if we're um, really angry and we're all different Sorry. aren't we yeah 
Your toolbox, right. you know, Liv's toolbox is different to mine. You know, your toolbox is different to someone else's, but it's creating your own toolbox, okay. isn't it? It's creating your own toolbox and also not being afraid of the feelings that you have, right? Because we almost feel like we shouldn't be angry and we shouldn't be jealous and we shouldn't be... But actually, all of these emotions are normal emotions. It's what makes us human, but it's about them not taking over our life and about them being momentary. I always refer to it almost like on a bus, you know, the big red London buses and the, the adverts they have on the side of them. You almost want to get to that place where you, you see it, you acknowledge how you feel, you understand how you feel, but then it passes you by and you can just get on with the rest of your day and be the person that you truly are and believe in yourself and what's happening. Absolutely. Sorry, Grant. <laughs> no, it's all right. Um, I just wonder what you would go back and through this amazing journey of and, and ending up now here as as a mom and supporting others from a very um, heartfelt place, what would you go back and tell your younger self? Is there anything in terms of, you know, your learnings and what you'd tell a younger person or your younger self? It's funny that it, this comes up with clients a lot and it definitely helps me. And when I, if I was to go back, I think, I would just tell her that she's safe. You're safe. Things will work out. You don't know how they're going to work out. Could have made me feel emotional saying it. You don't know how they're going to work out, but things will work out. Absolutely. It's okay. Absolutely. Yes. I wondered whether you would ask Karen about this question. <laughs> you always do the questions. <laughs> Are you meaning because I've not said anything? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. Oh, it feels weird me asking the questions. Um, who is a teacher or mentor that has inspired you, like at any part in your life, or if there's multiple people? Um, so when I first read this, this is a bit of a cheeky answer, and it's not so much an inspiration, but I do remember my very first teacher, I had a real crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a five-year-old could have a crush, but he's still in my mind of being like shy and having a crush. <laughs> and he was called Mr. Crossman, if he's out there anywhere. <laughs> and you were only five years old, um, but how did he inspire you? <laughs> oh, for the inspiration piece, I feel like it's lots of different people. I think back to the women that I've come across who have been... Um, who have seemed to have been empowered and feel like they've not hidden in the shadows, I guess, but still been personable at the same time. And I think that for me is the kind of person I want to be and that I inspire to be, aspire to be, um, to be able to have that balance of feeling self-assured and feeling assertive and like you can make decisions and do things but you can also be kind at the same time and you can also be approachable and open at the same time yeah absolutely so sorry it's not a particular person but it's people that have been like that yeah and life, you've probably worked sure. with a lot of people over your, your lifetime so far that have have had that impact and, and drawn that out to its conclusion sure. really and, and yeah. obviously we always mention this at the end of our of our school run because it fits really beautifully. But And I know that your son is probably not old enough yet to be going to 
proper school and you doing a school run every morning and every evening, but it'll be coming fast, I'm sure. Um, what's one of your school run memories, maybe from your own school run or maybe the nursery run now? So he actually did start school last year. So he's a he's a little, super little one. <laughs> um, and I have two in particular where he's made me laugh. Oh, yeah, I'll say laugh lightly. He was, he's one of these children that just loves to ask questions, the most random questions, but I can never fob him off with anything. I can't trick him with anything. If I try and say something silly, he would have said, even when he was just talking, he would be like, oh, mommy, you're silly. And then just ask the same question again. So, you know, Google has been my godsend, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> he's inquisitive and curious. And, oh my gosh. And I remember once when he was at nursery, it was like a 10 minute walk and I counted the questions and he asked me 26 questions on a 10 minute walk. Like it was insane. And then recently he loves running. Goodness knows where he's got this running bug from. But he loves to do races to school. And a couple of times we I have genuinely tried to run and I can't catch up with him. And he's turned around and it reminds me of Forrest Gump. And he's turned around and said, run, mummy, run. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm really trying. <laughs> oh. And these, these memories yeah. we cherish, we really cherish as he, as he grows up. I've cherished every one of my school runs with Liv. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, she's got in the car and we've not spoken for, you know, 20 minutes while she's sort of digested the day and, and come come to terms with it all. I remember my own school runs. We've all got those shared memories with our children, our, our own school runs, and they're really, really special. So you've lots more to come, Karen, and enjoy every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the School Run Podcast. No, it's been really enjoyable been learning so your story. Oh no, it's been so fun. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Me. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the School Run Podcast. If this is your first time listening, please go back and maybe listen to a few other episodes that we've previously recorded. There's lots of interesting topics, people's different roles and careers. We're sharing all of these stories to inspire and empower young people. That's our reason why. You don't have to have it all figured out at school. My co-host Liv is my 15-year-old daughter and I just keep telling her that school is just a small chapter of of life and there's so much out there if you just say yes to those opportunities. You don't have to have it figured out at school. We're privileged to be having these conversations and we're really thankful to our guests for coming on. Please would you hit the follow button on the podcast channel that you're listening to us on. This will really help us to grow and improve the podcast long term. It'd be lovely if you could write us a review on the podcast that you listen to us on and maybe give us a star rating. Lots of people have already bought us a virtual coffee so that we can have some chats and plan the content going forward. The link is www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run. And as Liv has already told you in the middle of this episode, we do have an Instagram, the school run underscore official, and we also have a LinkedIn showcase page. Would you just share this podcast if you've enjoyed it with one other person today? That would really help us. Thank you so much. 
don't forget to click that follow button and we'll see you again next Monday at 6am. 